Chapter Thirty Five of Gold by Stuart Edward White. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The trial. The meeting took place in the Bella Union, and the place was crowded to the doors. All the roughs in town were on hand, fully armed, swearing, swaggering, and brandishing their weapons. They had much to say by way of threat, for they did not hesitate to show their sympathies. As I looked upon their unexpected numbers and listened to their wild talk, I must confess that my heart failed me. Though they had not the advantage in numbers, they knew each other, were prepared to work together, were, in general, desperately courageous and reckless, and imbued with the greatest confidence. The decent miners, on the other hand, were practically unknown to each other, and while brave enough and hardy enough, possessed neither the recklessness nor desperation of the others. I think our main weakness sprang from the selfish detachment that had prevented us from knowing whom to trust. After preliminary organization, a wrangle at once began as to the form of the trial. We held very strongly that we should continue our usual custom of open meeting, but Morton insisted with equal vehemence that the prisoners should have jury trial. The discussion grew very hot and confused. Pistols and knives were flourished. The chair put the matter to a vote, but was unable to decide from the yells and howls that answered the question which side had the preponderance. A rising vote was demanded. Won't they attempt a rescue, I asked of Danny Randall, under cover of the pandemonium? They could easily fight their way free. He shook his head. That would mean outlawing themselves. They would rather get clear under some show of law. Then they figure to run the camp. The vote was understood to favor a jury trial. That settles it, said Danny, the poor damn fools. What do you mean? I asked him. You'll see, said he. In the selection of the jury we had the advantage. None of the roughs could get on the panel to hang the verdict for the simple reason that they were all too well known. The miners cautiously refused to endorse anyone whose general respectability was not known to them. I found myself one of those selected. A slight barrier, consisting of a pole thrown across one corner of the room, set aside a jury box. We took our places therein. Men crowded to the pole, talking for our benefit, cursing steadily, and uttering the most frightful threats. I'm not going to describe that most turbulent afternoon. The details are unessential to the main point, which was our decision. Counsel was appointed by the court from among the numerous ex-lawyers. The man who took charge of the defense was from New York, and had served some ten years in the profession before the gold fever took him. I happen to know that he was a most sober-minded, steady individual, not at all in sympathy with the rougher elements, but, like most of his ilk, he speedily became so intensely interested in plying his profession that he forgot utterly the justice of the case. He defended the lawless element with all the tricks at his command. For that reason, Woodruff was prevented from testifying at all, except as to his ownership of the cattle so that the effect of his pathetic story was lost. Dr. Rankin had no chance to appear. 
this meeting should have marked the awakening of public spirit to law and order and if all the elements of the case had been allowed to come before the decent part of the community in a common-sense fashion i'm quite sure it would have done so but two lawyers got interested in tangling each other up with their technicalities and the result was that the real significance of the occasion was lost to sight the lawyer for the defense pink and warm and happy sat down quite pleased with his adroitness a few of us and the desperados alone realized what it all meant we retired to randall's little room to deliberate not a man of the twelve of us had the first doubt as to the guilt of the prisoners we took a ballot the result was eleven for acquittal and one for conviction. I had cast the one vote for conviction. We argued the matter for three hours. There's no doubt the men are guilty, said one. That isn't the question. The question is, dare we declare it? It amounts to announcing our own death sentence, argued another. Those fellows would stand together. But who of the lot would stand by us? Why, we don't even know for sure. Who would be with us this case ought never to have been tried by a jury complained a third bitterly it ought to have been tried in a miners court and if it hadn't been for those soft heads who are strong for doing things regularly instead of sensibly we'd have had it done that way well said an older man gravely i agree to that i'm going to be governed in my decision not by the merits of the case but by the fact that I have a family back in the States. I consider my obligations to them greater than to this community. I reasoned with them for a long time, bringing to bear all the arguments I had heard advanced at various times during our discussions in Danny Randall's back room. At last, seeing I could in no manner shake their resolution, I gave in. After all, I could not blame them the case was to them only one of cattle-stealing. They had no chance to realize that it was anything more. Without solicitation on my part, they agreed to keep secret my opposition to the verdict of acquittal. Our decision was greeted by wild yells and the discharge of pistols on the part of the rough element. The meeting broke up informally and in confusion. It would have been useless for the presiding officer to have attempted to dismiss court. The mob broke through in mass to congratulate the prisoners. Immediately, the barkeepers were overwhelmed with work. Here and there I could see a small group of the honest men talking, low-voiced, with many shakes of the head. Johnny, Old, and Cal, who had attended with his arms slung up, had their heads together in a corner. Danny Randall, who it will be remembered, had not appeared publicly in any way, stood at his customary corner of the bar, watching all that was going on. His gamblers were preparing to reopen the suspended games. After conferring together a moment, the three express messengers made their way slowly across the room to the bar. I could not see exactly what happened, but heard the sudden reverberations of several pistol shots. The lamps and glasses rattled with a concussion. The white smoke of the discharges eddied and rose. An immediate dead silence fell, except for the sounds made by the movements of those seeking safe places. Johnny and his two friends, shoulder to shoulder, backed slowly away toward the door. 
Johnny and Old presented each two pistols at the group around the bar, while Cal, a revolver in his well hand, swept the muzzle slowly from side to side. Nobody near the bar stirred. The express messengers backed to the door. Keep your heads inside, warned Johnny clearly. On the words, they vanished. Immediately pandemonium broke loose. The men along the bar immediately became very warlike. But none of those who brandished pistols tried to leave the building. From the swing and sway of the crowd, the babble of yells, oaths, threats, and explanations, I could make nothing. Danny Randall alone, of all those in the room, held his position unmoved. At last a clear way offered, so I went over to him. What happened? I shouted at him through the din. Danny shrugged his shoulders. They killed Carhart and Malone, Danny replied curtly. It seemed, I ascertained at last, that the three had advanced and opened fire on the two ex-prisoners without warning. As soon as possible I made my escape and returned to our own camp. There I found the three of them seated, smoking, their horses all saddled, standing near at hand. "'Are they coming our way?' asked Johnny instantly. I told them that I had seen no indication of a mob. "'But why did you do it?' I cried. "'It's an open challenge. They'll get you boys now, sure.' "'That remains to be seen,' said Johnny grimly. "'But it was the only thing to do. "'If Carhart and Malone had ever been given time to report on our confab the other evening, you and Danny Randall and Dr. Rankin would have been marked men. No one knows of your connection with this matter. But they'll be after you. They were after us in any case, Johnny pointed out. Don't deceive yourself there. Now you keep out of this and let us do it. I reckon we can handle this bunch, said Old. Lord, what a lot of jellyfish, cried Johnny disgustedly. Danny was right enough about them. But let me state right here and once again that practical jokes on immigrants are going to be mighty unhealthy here. End of chapter 35